This podcast is rated F'd Up for profanity, sexual violence, and potentially disturbing material. If I were you, I'd turn back now. Welcome to the Macabre Academy. This is episode three, part one of a two-part episode. Um, This week we are getting into some of the really more macabre shit. Like, we barely skinned the surface the last two episodes. And now that we're getting into the swing of things, we are digging in hard and deep. We we wanted to kind of slowly inch you into things, but now we're just going to go balls deep. Yeah, this is definitely a balls deep case. So I'm going to warn anybody right now before we, like, really get into this. Like, there is mega trigger warnings for people. Um, first couple of minutes, we're going to be talking about stuff happening to kids. It's going to be shit. So don't listen if that bothers you. There's a lot of murder. There's a lot of rape and a certain number of bodies that is questionable. I've done my best to try to approach this topic as tastefully as I can, but let's get fucking real. This is the Macabre Academy. This is some dark ass shit. So turn away now if you're faint apart. Don't be a bitch. Um, <laughs> that being said, this is probably one of the first heavy hitters that we're going to do. Um, and I didn't even know this heavy hitter existed until three weeks ago. I lived with this guy for three weeks, um, in this book. So this is Anthony Sowell, or I'm just going to keep calling him Sowell because I'm from Pittsburgh and I have a shit accent. So we're going to go with that. Fair. True. He is a, uh, a serial killer out of Cleveland. And I've never heard of this case. Has anybody heard of Anthony Sowell? Not that I'm familiar with. I don't think so. When we get into this case, you're going to be surprised why you've never heard of him. Because this is next door to us. This is fucking Cleveland. And this shit. Yeah, that's a a day's drive. Yeah. Even. I used to, no, two hours. I used to drive every weekend and go clubbing at the chamber in Cleveland. During the time that he was actively murdering and raping people. Granted, I did not fit his MO. There's no way he would have went after me, but that's kind of scary to me because I was yeah. in this area at this time. Yeah, that's that's fair. That's yeah. unsettling. Nope. Yeah, so I guess we're going to kind of skip the banner and just kind of go right into this. So I did a lot of research on this. I have done over 40 hours of research on this killer, and I have lived with this for three weeks, falling asleep to stories, podcasts, reading articles, seven hours worth of audiobooks. Like, it's a lot. Uh, thank you, Audible, though. Not sponsored whatsoever. But we love Audible. But thank you, Audible. Yeah. I don't think they would ever sponsor us, but we listen to a lot of podcasts and audiobooks at work. Yeah. All big, the time. Yeah. Big box store. We're alone in our departments. Um, not as heavily customer service based as you would think. So I am sitting there, I'm decorating cakes. And then as I'm doing somebody's baptism cake, I get this in my ear. Murder. So I could not figure out the best way to attack this material. So what I have written for you is a heavily victim sympathetic narrative for you. So you will, instead of the way that I received the story, which was in weird scattered pieces because of the way that this guy's book, uh, Robert Saberner wrote, um, what did he write? The House of Horrors, the shocking true story of Anthony Saul and the Cleveland Strangler. His story goes forward, backwards, sideways, six ways, Tuesdays, backwards, and then forwards again. So I... Oh, yeah, no, I would lose it. Yeah, no. So I wrote it as a chronological narrative. So here... so smart. I try. 
well, it's, it isn't it just take effort. It's bad. And I, I failing. Well, and I stumble over my words. Okay. So you guys ready? Strapped in. We're on an adventure. Oh, I am so ready. I'm particularly ready because I've had to not hear about this for three weeks. Yeah, oh I drive you nuts. Oh like, my god! All I want to do is no fucking answers at this point. Like, I I need to know. Okay, so here we are. It's August nineteenth, nineteen fifty nine, and Anthony Sowell or Tone was this guy's nickname. Uh, was born to a woman, Claudia Gertrude Garrison. Gertrude was in quotation marks, so I think that's a preferred name. Not entirely sure. Why would you prefer? It's the 50s. We're we're almost headed to the 60s. A lot of people do that. It's always the fucking 60s. (laughs) They were a fucked up time. (laughs) Well, we're about to find out how fucked up. Um, So it's 1959, and he lived with extended family, including his grandmother, siblings, um, and his female cousins, the Davis, Davis twins. Now, the Davis twins go through some shit. So, again, if you don't like child stuff happening to kids, like, skip ahead. I mean, who really likes stuff happening to kids? Can I skip? No, you can't. (laughs) You already signed up for this. Yeah, I signed up for it. I'm not ready. (laughs) Okay, all right, all right. I'm done beating around the bush. So, his childhood home was filled with unimaginable abuse in the form of punishment. Not that cute little stand-in-the-corner shit that they do today like that no claudia was a stern woman who ran her house on fear rather than any sort of compassion the accounts of her particular cruelty come from one of the davis twins so then when i found that publicly spoke out about this her name's leona um she recalls that uh claudia's wrath and violence started immediately after she moved in with the garrisons her mother had passed away when she was only Eight years old. So her mom dies. Tragic. And then she goes, Lois was extended family. Bad idea. Accounts of her cruelty are just, they're terrible. I keep tiptoeing around them, so I should just do it. There's no accounts on how her birth mother treated her for a comparison, but I'm 95% positive. No, I'm 110% positive. It's nowhere near as cruel. Uh, Leanna states that Anthony, who lived in the home, was never abused himself. Because remember, this story's about Anthony. But he was among the abusers, um, even from when they were this young. It seems Claudia always found a way to spare Anthony, his brother Junior, and his sister Tessa. So these twins got the bulk of these uh, daily beatings. Claudia would force Leona and her twin sister to strip naked in front of these three other children, tie them to banisters, And then she would mercilessly whip them with the end of an electrical cord on the plug side so that the metal would cause their skin to break open and bleed. And when that happened, she just kept going. So it wasn't just, oh, you're bleeding, you're done. She kept beating them. There's a special place in hell. Yep. You know what's even more fucked up is the girls turned it into a game of who could not cry the longest or, you know, who would take longest to start crying. That got me. That murdered me right there. Like, my heart is done. Yes. But it gets worse. Leona says that after she turns 10, um, her body starts to hit puberty. You got to remember, Junior and Anthony is watching this happen to their naked bodies. They're starting to come into their womanhood. Their body's starting to develop. 
So he, as an 11-year-old, looks at this 10-year-old and goes, come to my room. So he takes Anthony, takes Leona up to her room, threatens physical violence unless she has sex with him. So now you have this going on and they're barely a decade old. Not only did this become the new daily norm after these beatings, but then Junior, his older brother, would make similar demands out of Leona. I know your face. It's rough. I want to hurt him. Page one out of I want to hurt him for her. Mm Mm-hmm. Weirdly enough, though, Tone, or Anthony in this case, was described as a shy and slender child, quiet and docile. He was often teased by the other children on the playground about his lack of sexual experience. Like, "Ah, you're a virgin and no girl's ever going to sleep with you. You're 12. You should be a virgin. (laughs) Right? I'm sorry. Who the fuck are you? Well, he tried to be a hard ass, but according to everybody else at this time, this kid was not a fighter. I'm sorry. Wait a minute. Back up. Hold up. Nope. Mm -mm. You a fighter and you're garbage. (laughs) You just playing. You just playing. So only accounts from the childhood that I could find, but that that's rough. That's a rough start. I feel like that does psychologically start to wire you as a fucked up individual. Yes. Now I'm a victim of abuse and so far murdered no one. Just, I'm just throwing that out there. I'm very proud of you for that. Right? I mean, I wasn't beaten with a plug. But bad things do happen when you're kids. Yeah. Too, when you're children. You can't protect every child. But, I, again, murdered no one. This guy watched somebody, and instead of having empathy, it's like, I'm going to rape that girl. Yeah. What? I'm take what's mine. No, it's not. Go away. So this child grows up to be 18 which is legally considered an adult, so he goes to enlist in the Army. But in 1920, or January 24th, 1979, he officially enlists in the Marine Corps. Um, Corps. It's the Corps. It's not a corpse. I was going to say, I heard that. I was like, what, on corpse? The P is silent. There's a P in there. That's why. (laughs) Which is crazy, because my twin... Marine, we were just talking about Sound Maiden. She's a Marine, right? Alcohol. Anyway, uh, so he didn't go out of patriotism or duty, however. There are four theories as to why Anthony joined the Army. He wanted to kill people. Well, sort of, yeah. Um, I'm sorry, he joined the Marines. So under the guise of toxic masculinity, I wrote, he chose to prove to his mommy, who said he was too stupid for the Army, and the big bad bullies on the playground that he could do it. I can be tough. I can be a fighter. I'm going to go to war. Yep, bullshit. That's not how you do that. Nope. Later in life, though, Anthony offers this as an excuse to escape the abuse and dysfunction of his household. He goes, oh, this is why I'm a fucked up person. And... No. Sort of. But you chose to... Okay. The third reason is the Marines would give him more of an employment opportunity. This kid, it turns 18, realizes he doesn't have enough credits to graduate high school. And instead of doing summer school, he drops out a few credits shy of graduating. Goes, oh, well, I'm going to go to the Marines. I'm going to job that way. Yeah. Oh, my God. Fourth and best reason of all, ready for this, impending fatherhood. So he had a girlfriend, uh, Twyla, at the time. Oh, my God. I thought he knocked up one of the girls. The twins? Yes. Right? 
I don't know. There's no documentations of whether these girls had abortions. I don't know if they were of a fruitful age. It, I have no idea. I don't want to know. I'm no, sorry. I, don't. I agree with you. I don't. After three weeks of this, I'm good. This is condensed enough yeah, for me. Yeah, no. Um, so he knocks up a girl not related to him. How about that? Good choice. Um, <laughs> um, and she said that he seemed supportive. She's actually the only woman I have quotes that said, he treated me fine. Yeah, what was fine? What's your definition? She doesn't report any abuse or anything like that. She says that Anthony seemed excited to be a dad. But his friends at the time said that Tone doubted the paternity of the baby. Might not be my kid. So I'm going to go. Isn't that what they all say, though? Mm -hmm. I feel like they do. Like young fathers, like, oh, that probably isn't mine. Every baby I've ever had, the father had a paternity test. Which is fair. Yeah, just throwing that out there. I'm I'm married to one of them, and we he still had a paternity test, which is weird. Oh no, I would have punched him in the face and been like, "It's your fucking child." (laughs) He graduated from basic training class as an honor graduate. Thrived in the military. It's indicative of how he could be if he applied himself, because to get this award, you had to be impeccably clean, super respectful, and incredibly physically fit to get through basic training and get this award. Your face. So, like, do we think he's a sociopath and, like, he just faked it all? Hang in there. You got... That's what my face is. You got 29 more pages to go here. I know! (laughs) Uh, Upon graduation, he was stationed at Camp Lejeune for three intensive weeks of combat training. Sidebar, where I got my between-titty tattoos. Fun! Yeah. I have a a sacred heart piece between my boobies, and I got that at Camp Lejeune when my twin graduated from his training at Camp Lejeune. Marines. Hoorah. Ura. Yeah. No, Please I have Yeah. Please leave Ura in there. <laughs> I am so supportive of the Marines, it's not even funny. So I want I, I guess I have to add a disclaimer. This is just Anthony. This is not Marines. This, this is, is not Marines. Scumbag. This is Anthony's. Anyway, so he had a lot of combat training in boot camp, but at Camp Lejeune, they hone in your combat skills. So he learned basic hand-to-hand combat and chokeholds and stuff. Um, learn how to run a mile and do lots of push-ups and, you know, shine some shoes. But when you get to Camp Lejeune, it's hard work time. And uh, he learned how to disable an assailant and kill with his bare hands, as well as using weapons of opportunity. And uh, Anthony showed a particular skill set uh, he excelled at the blood chokes, is what they're called. Oh, of course. These are holds that apply pressure to the carotid artery and immediately cuts off blood flow to the brain. These can be easily implied, applied in seconds with or without ligatures, which will come into play later. These strangles are superior to air chokes, which restrict the airways, because they can be applied in seconds versus restricting air for several minutes to murder somebody. The most dangerous thing the art, the military will teach you is how fragile the human body is. I mean, that's terrifying. Why are we... We should not be teaching these people. <laughs> no, you should. Because you should, in combat they training... You have to go through excessive, like, mental... Evaluations? Either before or afterwards. Because you can't just teach people this and expect them not to do crazy things. Well... Well, I mean, my husband was taught all, taught a lot of this stuff, and he doesn't, well, he doesn't do those kind of crazy things. No, but, like, do you know what I mean? Like, if you're teaching people these things and giving them the tools and you're not knowing what It doesn't matter, are, because if a war breaks out, you want psycho people like this. Yeah. That's fair. It's yeah. It's so scary, though. It is. 
So, lighter note, though, he did become a really good electrician while he was at Camp Lejeune. Proud of him. Yeah, right? Life skills. Um, Don't need those where you're at now, do you? Yeah. Weirdly enough, though, the electrician thing will also come into play later. So just, of course it will. Of course it will. Hold on to that There's one. There's nothing good for this man. No. Everything that starts in a backstory of a serial killer comes into play later. Well, when you're in the Marines, you have several posts, so you move around a bit. So I'm not going to detail everywhere that he went in the Marines because we got a lot to go. But significant was when he was in Camp Butler in Okinawa, Japan. I think I said Okinawa, right? It sounds about right. Okay, fair. We're from Pittsburgh. Get okay. over it. So at the age of 22, Anthony falls in love and marries a Marine called uh, Kim Yet Lawson. Uh, no, we're going to go Kim Lawson. She has a middle name. Can't say it. Okay. Y- it's Yvette. Yvette? Oh, Yvette. 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 Why is there Y on it then? Because it's fancy. It's Yvette. Okay. okay. Well, Yvette Lawson. Some people marry for love, but... Yvette quotes, uh, I married Tone to keep him from drinking himself to death. That that was, yeah. I don't know if that was their direct wedding vows, but uh, that's that's her quotation on Listen, it. Listen, if that's not in my well, wedding vows, I don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> Despite her Herculean efforts to work with Anthony on his mommy issues, he did say that she was the only one that could calm him down and kind of work him through the lack of... Uh, uh, affection that his mother showed him. He 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 self admittedly said that was problematic to him. Um, their relationship ultimately waned. So he finally got that mommy nurturing figure in his life that he always wanted. Didn't pan out. Uh, she filed for divorce in 1985, which ironically is the same day she was discharged from the Marines. She weirdly enough died, but not because of Anthony. She died during a freak work accident at a factory. Her neck would be crushed by a 500-pound metal block. Are we sure it was an accident? Yes. Okay. Yeah. She got on the Marines, went into factory work, and this wooden block just fell on her neck and crushed it. Factory work is dangerous. It's very dangerous. I know, but it just seems like... 80s. Ironic. Right? Like, ironic. I know. She would die by her neck being crushed. Neck Neck being crushed. Nuts being crushed? (laughs) She's got nuts? I, I mean, they're internal. They high five, by the way. <laughs> Nobody could see that but me. They heard it. Okay, so Anthony has this impeccable record, goes to the Marines, model Marine, except for one blemish. Just one. Also from Japan. He attempted to have drinks with a Lance Corporal off base, but he got into a fight with an MP. And from what I understand, you don't fucking fight. Yeah, you don't fuck mil- with military police. Don't like, do they will end head. you. <laughs> So he got demoted from sergeant to corporal, big loss. It's only one rank. Um, but it wasn't uncommon for men at this station in Okinawa to have trouble with alcohol. A lot of them got in trouble for it. That's why they tried not to keep them at Camp Okinawa too long. Usually they're only stationed there for like a year. He was supposed to have mandatory alcohol counseling that commonly accompanied these infractions, but that didn't happen. You just not. slipped through the cracks. There was also a brief period where he technically went AWOL, but I can't find anything from that. And it didn't seem to really impact his military career in the long run. However, while in Japan, he uh, also frequented red light districts, a.k.a. Hooker Hill. Anybody surprised? Nobody looks surprised. Nope. Um, it gave I want to live on Hooker Hill. No. Mm. What? Hold on now. As a hooker? No. 
Hooker Hill is a place in Japan where there's a lot of human trafficking going on. Oh, you don't want to live there. Uh, In 2008, there was a report done by the U.S. State Department that a majority of the Filipino sex workers that performed, air quote, in this district were actually forced into prostitution um, from the sex trafficking. And it's still going on from what I can find. So, yay. Hooker Hill. I just want to live on a street called Hooker Hill. Okay, that's right. I thought you wanted to. You can just buy a street on a property and name it whatever the fuck you want. That's what I want. I kind of want Night at the Roxbury after the last the past lives case. I'm just throwing that out there. I want a Roxbury so we can have Night at the Roxbury. What is love? I'm not going to sing because I'm bad. That's why I'm not a professional singer. Okay, so Hooker Hill gave him an opportunity to indulge his sexual desires. Uh, fellow Marines and inmates stated that Anthony confessed that he would purposely find the cheapest prostitutes, which means they were probably being forced the hardest and most desperate. Um, they sold sex for a couple of dollars, um, since they were easily intimidated into non-consensual sexual acts that commonly included bondage, choking, and domination. Big bad Marine, you feel like you have to comply, you're already scared, you're already trafficked, and... Now you got this big bad marine you got to satisfy. Yeah. Uh, It wasn't uncommon for him to tie girls to chairs so he could repetitively practice strangulation methods. As far as witnesses knew, he never killed anyone. So people had no idea what he was really up to. But can we ever know? I mean, realistically. No. Do you think that there's bodies in Okinawa? Oh, without a doubt. Even with the foreshadowing? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. I'm sure there was an accident here or here. Well, that's this oh, is we're calling be... them accidents. I mean, when you are they off. happy little accidents? No, this is not Bob Ross paint. <laughs> they are not accidents. He meant to kill those people. No, like there's a lot of cases of serial killers where like they just start off like playing into like these fantasies they have, and then like all of a sudden it's like, oops, I accidentally went too far on that one, mm-hmm. but I liked it, oh, and that's boy. how it progresses. No, it's fair. He also had this thing, you're going to see it later, where he would like to strangle somebody, not kill them, let them come to, just to strangle them all over again. I hate that. Yep. I hate that. Weird sidebar, one of the ways I almost died, the three ways, was by strangulation. So I, I, have, I have been strangled unconscious twice. Yep. Please don't touch me. <laughs> <laughs> it's contagious. Strangulation is contagious. Like, just leave me alone. Okay, all right, anyway. So Anthony is discharged in 1985 after earning a good conduct medal with one service star, a sea service deployment ribbon, a certificate of commendation, a meritorious mass, and two or three, depending on what sources it is, letters of appreciation. His commanding officer said he could have had a great military career if he had stayed, but there's no real reason why he left. Nothing's given. So he returns to East Cleveland and had a really hard time readjusting to civilian life. Big shock. Like you do. Uh-huh. Um, without his wife, and apparently the lady he married uh, had a daughter, too, with him. There's not a lot on the girl. I don't blame. I would not want to be associated with a serial killer. So no. I purposely didn't look up his daughter. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. let that go. Um, he didn't have prospects for a job. He became increasingly easy to anger. He accrued several offenses at this time during drug and alcohol abuse. And his beloved neighborhood, which used to be very uh, prominent, like doctors would live in this part of Cleveland. Um, 
back in the 50s, sports stars, everything. It was a really nice neighborhood. And then the 80s crack academic hit. I feel like that's every neighborhood. Though. Yeah. No, this really went, this really changed things. Uh, okay. The disorder increased the crime rate. And he didn't even have the comfort of marine discipline to help him navigate these waters. Okay. So a little bit about cocaine at this point. I'm just going to fill it in because I didn't know. Okay. Because I am uh, unfortunately a white woman of privilege. I don't know what it's mm-hmm. like to be around crack cocaine. I have no idea. So my nerdy ass had to go look it up. Um, cocaine had been refined. So this is coke. Um, into a more affordable and more addictive derivative. So crack is that's why they always call it crack cocaine. I had no idea. 33 oh, years old. It's raw no cocaine. Clue. It is. Yeah. Purified and raw. It is It is intense, but it's cheap. I learned that from Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> and it's sh- short. Ironic you say that. Paired with the media stigma uh, of crack cocaine being an urban problem, most local as well as federal government agencies were ill-equipped to handle social uh, issues that followed. So... Uh, this community that he grew up in is African-American. Also, why this is hard to tackle this subject. Okay. Anthony's black. He lives in a black community. It's being ravaged by co- co- crack. Okay. Okay. Um, and he's being stereotyped this time. His community's being stereotyped. Crimes going on in this neighborhood are being stereotyped. And a lot of African-Americans were dehumanized as they were suffering with the addiction at this time. It was a bigger deal to be a white girl addicted to crack than a black woman being addicted to crack. It was like a thing. And that sucks. I know. Yeah. It sucks. And this is crazy because this is breaching my memory because I'm born in 86. Okay. You know what I mean? I, I, I'm, my mom would have stronger memories of this thing generations before us and, and, and Yen's younger than me. So you have like barely any compared to me. Um, there's more information though. Uh, there's, uh, I found this book from Aaron Dixon, who was part of the former Black Panther Party. Uh, he was the Seattle chapter captain. Um, he wrote a book called My People Are Rising, where he details how crack cocaine swept through the U.S. in the 80s and uh, neighborhoods and families were severely impacted by the epidemic. Uh, he recounts his personal experiences and trying to keep gang-involved youth alive and afloat during this tumultuous time. So the book seems to be a very good firsthand account. Okay. If you wanted to try to put this more in perspective, since we are three white witches sitting at a table drinking wine. Yeah. I'm just throwing that out there. So Sowell's offenses, right? Drug, alcohol problems coming off the 80s. Um, they become increasingly severe until they erupt. July 22nd, 1989. This is his sadistic assault of Melvette Sockwell, a.k.a. rape trigger warning right here. Just put right here. Um, she was three months pregnant when she went to Sowell's home on Page Avenue voluntarily. Now, there's two reasons why this woman walked into his home and only she and Anthony know. I was going to say, why, would she, why is this woman even going there? All right. So one version states that she had been, this is the police version, if you can't guess. Okay. Uh, one version states that she had been staying at a local motel with her boyfriend when a uh, drug raid ensues. It just like violently erupts, sirens, everybody's like, oh shit, run. Um, and she gets separated from her boyfriend. And you can see that there's this girl standing there and this fear is on her face. And Anthony goes... I can help this person and I can get them to come home with me. So he says, Hey, 
Um, your boyfriend sent me. I have a safe place for you to go while, uh, until your boyfriend comes back since he ran off with the rape. So he picks her up. Lures her under the guise and uh, they, they head off to his house. Now, in her version of events, he invited her back to his apartment so she could use the phone because her car had broken down. Either version, I don't care which one you believe, doesn't matter. This woman, pregnant, steps foot in Anthony's home. They arrive sometime really early in the morning, and Malvette was wary of entering an unknown residence, but she felt reassured because she saw a kid shit downstairs. There were toys, there were clothes scattered, because Tessa lived at this residence also. She was on a different floor. And even Tone goes, hey, be quiet, going up the stairs. You don't want to wake up these kids. They're sleeping. So she feels a little bit more at ease, right? On the third floor, it was really well kept and clean. That was Anthony's place. He likes to live on the third floor of buildings, I guess. Um, he was a perfect gentleman. Shuts the door and locks it. Switches over immediately. He locks the door violently. And she even notes the lock of the sound was almost like a trigger for him. Um, and he forcefully instructs Malvette on the bed by coming behind her and threatening with her knife. Okay, you, you can imagine the words. I'm not going to use them. Um, he retrieves a large suitcase once he has her sitting on the bed, wheels it out in front of her, and she says that Anthony, quote, says to her, I don't think I need to tell you what happens now. So she's assuming she's going to die and she's going to wind up in that suitcase. Yeah. So under force of dead, she starts to strip. And she thinks, if I comply, I might have the best chance of survival. It's not a bad tactic. Um, in a pure lack of empathy for her pregnant condition, he throws her onto the bed and violently rapes her multiple times. Um, each time, he would finish raping her, make her go wash up in the bathroom, you know, wash away his sins, go get clean. I'm so sorry this happened. Get dressed. He'd apologize to her. Apologize to her after each rape. Have her get back dressed. And then he would violently tear off all of her clothes and rape her all over again. Then make her go wash up. This happens a few times. It's a weird fucking cycle. It goes around. Um, at one point, she can't hold back her tears. She can't stay calm and comply no more. That's fucking traumatic. So she's oh, her for staying so long. Right? She bawls. She cries. Um, Anthony decides he's going to gag her with a rag in her mouth and shut her the fuck up. And he tries to perform oral sex on her. You want to listen to something fucked up, get an audiobook that involves forcing oral sex on a woman and listen to it. Because it is graphic description. Yeah, that did not sit right with me for like at least two weeks. If I, I'm glad I never have to, well, I hope I never have to listen to another oral rape on audiobook again. Okay, I'm just throwing that out oh, there. Um, she even stated, like, that's a very intimate act. Yeah. So to have somebody force themselves on you that way was probably the most unsettling. I think it's very common for a man just to shove his penis somewhere. Yeah. I think, like, that's the stigma with rape. Okay, it's an orifice. He's going to take care of it. But for him to go, yeah, I'm going to get all up in your business. Yeah, right? Five pages in. As day turns into night and back into day... Malvette's pregnant belly starts to rumble. She's hungry. Anthony has a moment. Maybe he's tired from raping her so many times. Beast is satiated for the moment. I don't know what. But he goes, you know what? I'm going to feed you. But once I'm done feeding you, I'm going to kill you. And he 
ties her up so he can go get the food, and then he goes, never mind, and goes and takes a nap right next to her. So she's just tied up, and he passes out, doesn't get the food. Mauvette waits until he's out cold, and then she starts inching off the bed towards the window. She's like, wait, maybe I can get out of here. She is convinced if she makes a noise, Anthony wakes up, sees her trying to escape from the window, he's going to kill her. This is her mindset. Hold on to that tidbit for a second. She goes to slide herself through the roof, onto the roof, because she manages to use her head to nudge open the window a little bit. And then as she's staring off the steep roof, the ground's looming like 25 feet down below her. She gets violently yanked back in. So, of course, she screams. She screams. She screams. She's screaming so loud. Um, without, uh, I got myself backwards in my notes. Anyway, um, it turns out that all of her commotion wasn't enough to wake Anthony up, but it was enough to wake up Tressa, his sister. Sister sees this naked girl, try, hears her making this commotion, pulls her back in. So you think, oh, thank God, it's another woman, right? She's coming. No. Nope. Nope. Now, this woman is also hard, a lot like her mother, right? Completely unsympathetic. She got angry at me and said, why didn't you scream for help? As she's explaining that this guy just raped her a bunch of times. So Tessa's like, dude, you clearly wanted it because you didn't fucking scream for help. She's like, Sockwell, like the quotations were like, she had to know that he, if I made a noise, he would have killed me. She wanted to slap the shit out of Tessa for this shit. I don't blame her. No. I would have. Yeah. Spit in her face or something. I'm dying anyway. So we don't know if, like, I don't know if, like, somebody saw her on the roof or whatever, but somehow the police were called, and uh, uniform officers try to wake Anthony up to say, hey, what the fuck's going on here? He opens an eyeball, he looks at the police officers, and then he rolls back over and tries to go to sleep. (laughs) Because that's what I naturally do when I wake Good up plan. and see a police officer in my room. Yeah. That's how nonchalant he was about this. Oh, I'm going to go back to bed now. I don't know how, but somehow justice prevailed in this case. Anthony was arrested for the brutal attack of Melvet software. Went to jail. Was incarcerated. Was safely behind bars. Who's the jackass that fucked him up and let him out? Who let him out? <laughs> it was on good behavior, wasn't it? It's always on good behavior. It is. Well, you'd think, like, he wouldn't have an opportunity to do this again, right? No. No. Well, I wouldn't have 30 pages if he didn't, but we're, we're going to go there. <laughs> um, somehow, while he was waiting trial for Sockwell's case, he was released on bail. And he became a fugitive for a little while and found an opportunity to commit another heinous act. Sounds about right. I think it's a child upstairs. It's not the ghost? No. No, that's a closet door you'll hear creaking. Oh, okay. That's how I know it's the ghost. So while he's waiting to stand trial for Malvette's assault, we're going to call it, another victim, whose name is unknown, she chose to stay unknown, she's 31, um, invited Anthony into her home for drinks on uh, July 24th, 1990. Uh, They don't know what provoked him or what caused him to snap. But, of course, he chokes her. And he savagely rapes all three of her major orifices. Damn. Yeah. mm. Now, she waits for him to fall asleep as well. 
Um, in her own home. Yes, in her home. He falls asleep because he's been drinking after he's raped her. She attempted to go to the police and file a report while he's snoozing. But she was afraid to cooperate with investigators. I don't have notes why. There's multiple reasons why. People mistrust the establishment at this point. I mean, there's a lot going on. Whatever happens, it didn't get prosecuted. That's why her name is unknown. It means the 2020s people are still afraid to go. Women are still afraid to go to the cops about this kind of stuff. So, yeah. Well, good thing was, is despite her rape, it gave the police a tip on where to find Anthony. So they brought him in for the offenses against Smellbad. Oh, good. On September 12, 1990, Anthony Sowell was sentenced to 5 to 15 years in prison. He pled guilty to the lesser charge of attempted rape. That's how he got away with doing less time. Um, he served the maximum, the 15 years, because all of his paroles were denied. Oh, good. But a um, young guy when he, he got that. 15 years to a young man isn't a lot of no, time. No, it's nothing. Yeah. He did have to uh, register as a sex offender, but he was only required to check in with parole once a year because he was dubbed unlikely, very unlikely to reoffend. He was out on bail and reoffended. There's Are no you proof. fucking kidding me? Oh, I hate him. What's even weird is like the and we only started. Where, oh, yeah, I hate him. Yeah, I don't even think his neighbors were notified that he was on the sex registry list. What? Yeah. I'm serious because they. I was, thought that was part of the sex offender list that like you had to go to your neighbors and be like, "Hey, just so you know, I'm a sex." Not offender. in the '90s. Yeah, I was gonna say. <sighs> remember, this is like the er, this is the start of the '90s. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad I wasn't born until '95. Mm-hmm. You know what's crazy too is there's like once you get paroled, you can go to all these like classes yeah. to help with like anchor management and shit. And he actually applied to be in a uh, sexual offenders class. But he was denied because he wouldn't admit that he had actually raped Melvet Sockwell. Uh huh. That yeah. So he uh, asked for therapy. He was, asked for help, and we told him no. Nope. Still a monster though. I don't think the help would help. Them. No, still no. a monster, but total trash. Mm-hmm. God. So he was released in two thousand and four. Damn. That was a year ten. before I graduated high school. By the way. I was 10. I was 14. Dating ourselves. I'm old lady. Um, Anthony becomes the sole resident at his famous house called the House of Horrors, address 12205 Imperial Avenue. This is the one that he's known for. This is this is it. Now we're in the meat. Uh, one of his men... Wait a minute. House of Horrors. That sounds familiar. I think this guy... I have to look when I go home. He might be in my serial killer coloring book. That'd be cool if he is. <laughs> if it is, I'm going to show you. Don't. Don't color it. Let me color it. <laughs> House of Horror sounds really familiar. I have to look this up when I go home. And- well, you got to remember, there's like, there's a lot of things called of horrors. Yeah. Little Why shop, was I so excited shop, I know the original one. Not, I don't know not what you're talking about. Not the fun sing-along Actually, I have the I have the breakout role, House of Horrors, when it was Jack Nicholson's first film. I have sure. that Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah, it You're was right. not. I have that too. That's what they based the musical on. Was I know that it weird, is crappy B movie. Oh my god, Jack Nicholson's performance in that is fantastic. Anyways, okay, Anyways. so let's. This is this is the shit right here. This is the awfulest shit of the, the meat shit. and potatoes. This is this is where this is where it gets bad. 
Okay. Okay. So. Oh, just just now. Yeah. I'm just glad now. it wasn't bad before. <laughs> no, it, it gets worse. Wait till you hit part part two. Um, I'm not ready for part two. So 2004, he takes over his stepmother's home. His, he decides his nephew doesn't have it, so he takes over this whole house. Okay. It's deemed like a mansion. His mother primarily lived on the first floor. He sometimes hung out on the second floor, but again, apartment on the third floor. That's like where he lived. Um, he became a proficient petty criminal um, and scrapper. And there were rumors of him peddling some of the drugs out of his house to sustain his lifestyle. Tone, though, was a man of the neighborhood. All of his neighbors adored him. They let him complete little weird jobs for him. Because remember, he's a good electrician, right? Um, he's always friendly, always willing to offer help, always on his porch waving hello to everybody. They all know who this man was. Always a piece of shit. Yeah. Um, over the next several years, everything was kind of unassuming until... June 29, 2007. Residents of the Mount Pleasant neighborhood reported an increasingly foul odor in the area. It was described as the smell of blood and rotting meat. That's how John and Gacy was found. Yeah. Oh, hold on. There was only one of several, this, there's several complaints to the Cleveland Health Department from people living on the street on Imperial Avenue. Inspectors were deployed on several occasions to locate the source of the smell. Guess what they couldn't find? The source of this awful fucking smell. Men. So what they did was is place attention on Ray's Sausage Company, which shared part of the street with these homes. Um, It was a small family-owned meat packing plant located on Imperial Avenue. In fact, Anthony's backyard was adjacent to the facility. Oh, no. The owner's grandfather had started the company 57 years prior, and there was never a complaint about smell the entire 57 years that they had been in operation. Nothing was slaughtered on site. Vendors sent frozen and fresh meats to be immediately processed into product and sent to stores. Still, summer's hitting. Stench is horrendous, and nobody can find a cause. They look like a pretty damn good scapegoat for the city because they have to but solve that's, it. That's definitely a male thing because if that would have been a woman, she would have just fucking sniffed everything until she found the source. <laughs> they wouldn't have been like, oh, it clearly must be like the meat plants. No, she would be like, nope. <laughs> we should have just su- sucked my mother-in-law on Cleveland at this time because she would have found it. I believe oh, yeah. it. Yes. Um. Anyway, so a citation was issued to Ray Sausage Company for failure to adequately control odor and vapors. Cleveland insisted that all of their grease traps and internal plumbing be replaced. The cost was nearly $20,000 and more was spent on bleach, cleaning solvents, and deodorizers. Big shocker, none of it worked. Yeah. Wonder why. Yep. So my brain, right, goes... Because somebody didn't figure out they're supposed to use lye. <laughs> so I was worried about Ray Sausage Company, so I looked them up, right? So articles, I said that the, the totals were closer to $80,000 by the Fuck. being spent. Now, the owner was very upset because these were false accusations. He is a pay-as-you-go business. They only have 11 employees, by the way. Oh, my God. Yeah. So getting a loan to cover these expenses, expenses yeah. was not happening. On top of it, the city had promised to relocate the factory and to uh, help expand the facility. 
But I found an article from 2017 where none of this has happened yet. That's only three years ago, guys. Nothing's been done about the false accusations to the sausage company. So, like, how can we fight that? I don't know. I want to fight it. Let us know if there's a way to help raise sausage company. I mean, Anthony Zimmerman did do an episode on them. He had the best sauce, S-O-U-S, that he's ever had. Came out of Ray Sausage Company. I don't know if that helped save them. Okay. Yeah. You know, Bizarre Foods. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. did an episode. I don't know what episode. They were, they were in Pittsburgh, too. Well, yeah. We're talking about Ray's Sausage Company right yeah. now? Not Pittsburgh. I know. Oh. Oh, it's right here in my notes. All this stuff about Andrew Zimmerman. I just pulled it out of my memory. I forgot I wrote it down. She's smart. I told you I mean, weeks. she spent 48 hours on this fucking thing. This is love. With a toddler on top of it. This is my life's work right now. This is my opus magnum. I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to do research again this detailed for this podcast. I've maybe set the bar too high for myself, so I apologize now. That's okay. I'm going to get my shit together better, so I can. I probably won't. I can do the research. I'm trash. Okay, wait. We've got a couple more pages till we're halfway through. No, we have like six pages. I'm not online. Okay. September 22nd, 2009, sheriff's deputies pay a surprise visit to Anthony's home to verify his address on file because he had a parole check-in 20 days prior. Because remember, sex offender. Uh, Tony answers the door, pleasant as can be, charming, and the deputies leave without ever entering the pre- uh, premises. What? He had somebody in there, didn't he? He, he had, had bodies in there. In there. Well, whatever what fucking... Mean? What, I mean, like no. somebody alive that he was getting ready to kill. Well, oh, back, no. back your ass up for five seconds. This I wrote a note for a personal story right here. And I'm going to put this in. Why I have a hard time with this one. I dated a guy on parole once. I dated him because I went to high school with him. So I knew him. He went to prison for bullshit charges for like two years and got out. And then he was on parole and he was dating me and staying with me in my apartment for the night. So he had to tell his parole office to get permission to stay in Allegheny County because he was convicted in Butler County. Comes and spends the night. We're about to go to my cousin's wedding. We're getting up to go get ready for the wedding. And I'm getting coffee and shit. And I'm in my bathrobe and I get this boom, boom, boom on the door. And then it's this police officer in sunglasses and he's got a fucking flashlight in the middle of the day, like in my face. I'm like, good morning, officer. And he goes, is blah, blah, blah here? Name, name not mentioned because of privacy. Um, but he asks for my boyfriend, demands to see him. And then my boyfriend premieres behind me and he goes, okay, I'm coming in. He walks in and he starts looking around my apartment, which is immaculately clean, I will say. The only thing I had that this this officer decided was offensive was I had a collection of beer bottles on display on a shelf neatly with flowers in them. And he demands that I throw them all out or he's going to write a letter to my boyfriend's regular parole officer that we were up all night drinking and partying because that's what it looked like those beer bottles had been from. So he's done a sweep of my apartment. He came in. And my boyfriend at the time had a non uh, a non-violent crime. And he comes and raids my apartment for this. That's ridiculous. Sex and offender. And they didn't even touch him. They didn't even walk in the fucking door. Just like, oh, hey, you're here. Okay, bye. Like, what the fuck? No. No. Scare the shit out of me over some fucking beer bottles. And they couldn't even be bothered to work in Anthony's house. And yeah. he's a fucking registered sex offender. Piece of shit. Stupid. Fuck. So later that day, he decides, that day... He has his friend, uh, LaTundra Lala Billups, over. Um, they've been long-time friends. Uh, she was 36. She was a mother of five children at the time. 
and they had been introduced two years prior by Anthony's once-living girlfriend, Lori Frazier. Please remember that name. Please. Lori Frazier. They, uh, what did this group of ragtag people have in common? One guess. Prison? Crack! Crack! It's always fucking crack. Why am I so stupid? (laughs) Even after Anthony had broken up with Lori Frazier, he still occasionally got together, drank, and smoked crack with Lala. Now, this had been going on for a couple years. A couple years. From time to time, she said he was always so nice to me. There were rumors, however, going around the neighborhood at this time that Tone had been sexually abusive towards women. Just rumors. Just rumors. You went to jail, but it's just a rumor. Actually, Lala's friend said that Anthony had held her at hostage for an entire day, ruthlessly and repetitively raped her, and when she escaped, she never reported the attack to police because she didn't want her family to know that she had been smoking crack. Yeah, right? Now, she tells this to Lala, but Lala decides, "Mm, I know Anthony. We've been friends for years. I'm going to go over there. I'm going to smoke my crack anyway. I'm not worried about it. This is my friend. This is Tone. This is my buddy. So they're hanging out on the same day, uh, enjoying alcohol and, and smoking. And Lala even is sitting there and she's comfortable enough to sit here and ask, you know, Anthony, hey, you know, what's all this thing I've heard about kidnapping and, and raping women? You know, like, you're my friend. Like, I, I don't believe this shit. What's going on? And he's like, hey, you know, keep smoking. Let's talk about it. I mean, let's, let's look at this logically. Have I ever done that to you? That's his question to her. He's assuring her because he's never hurt her. Okay. In reality, we all know that he is a fucking predator. So surprise, surprise. He's like, actually, now that I think about it, yeah, I'm going to rape you. So I knew he, where this was at. Yeah. He launches a surprise attack, wraps an extension cord around Lala's neck, and begins that ritual of abuse. He's strangling her. He's going to rape her. And she's almost passed out several times. But he always stops just in time. At one point, this isn't good enough. So he forces oral sex on her. Again, you know, uh, unsettling descriptions of oral sex. Very unsettling, which I normally enjoy. What is wrong with this man? I don't know. She had attempted to be compliant, however, same thought. Okay, he wants one thing, let's get it done so I can get out of this house alive. Never be compliant. No, well, there's a hope, right? It's a strategy. Um, I'm not saying there, there should be a good strategy to this. You should, uh, no woman should find herself in this position. But there are some women that are, you know, fight or wait. See what happens. And that both- I think it depends on the situation, too, of where you're at and what they have at their disposal. So if it's like, oh, you're just on a the street, they don't have a weapon, that's a little bit easier to get away from than I'm in their house and they're holding a gun to me. Well, he's got an extension cord around her yeah. neck. Yeah, at that point, I just feel like it's fine. I'm going to yeah. die anyway. So finally, after being repetitively strangled, she finally passes out for like a solid three hours. She wakes up and shocks the shit out of both of them because Anthony hadn't expected her to wake up and she sure fuck did not think she was waking up from that last strangle. That's the scary one. Um, Neither one of them could believe that she was still alive. So Anthony was kind of taken aback, so he didn't quite have time to wrap his mind, I guess, around what was going on. So Lala's like, fuck this, I'm getting dressed. She puts on her clothes and she goes to leave. And he's like, no, 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 wait, wait, where are you going? 
She's like, no, dude, it's, it's cool. I'm, I'm just going to leave. Like, we're done. We're done here. Bye. Now, there's two versions, again, of what happened here. Um, but she basically says, look, you know, you had a moment uh, and you tore my sweater. You know, so I just I just kind of want to leave. He goes, no, 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 wait, 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 I feel bad. I'm going to replace your sweater. And she's like, well, this sweater costs like a hundred bucks. He goes, her, gets real mad. And he goes, you know what, you come tomorrow and I'll give you 50 bucks and we can smoke some more crack. And she's like, um, cool. So he gives her another shirt. She's just trying to get out of the house. Okay. You, you didn't see her. She doesn't go back, right? No, she goes to the police. That's, okay. That's how she's alive. I was alive. like, wait, hold on. Yeah, one version of Vince says that she offered to give him 50 bucks the next day for Mark. I don't know. It doesn't matter. She manages to sweet talk her way out of that okay, house. that's fair. Leaves the torn sweater behind that he ripped during the sexual assault, and she gets out of there. Already ruined it, but spoiler alert, goes to police. Directly. Just right there. Actually, no. Back up. She didn't go directly to the police. She kind of weighed on this for a little bit. Ultimately, she decides going to the police. LaChandra was surprised that they knew who he was. She goes, hey, this name, this my friend, Anthony, just did the shit to me. And they're like, oh, yeah, we know that guy. She's like, then why have you not done anything about it? So she's upset. She's scheduled for an interview with police on uh, October 11th of 2009. Doesn't show. She stated that she left several messages with the officers, but the police were saying they were having trouble getting in contact with her. So somehow there's this miscommunication going on. Lala already seemed like she was in a bad way. She had problems getting her rape kit done at the hospital. And then she'd also had run-ins with police that had left a bad taste in her mouth, probably because of the crack. Um, morally, she's kind of torn, though. She's like, on one hand, desperately, I got to stop this guy. And on the other hand, I don't know that I can handle going through a trial. I mean, I was there. I was smoking crack. These things get ugly. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So she's weighing on this. They don't go get a search warrant for her, any of this, which they should have. Experts say that they could have easily got one on her testimony alone, but the Cleveland police said that they were waiting for her final statement so that they were sure they could get this search warrant. Either way, balls dropped. October 20th hits, and uh, an ambulance is called to Sowell's house on Imperial Avenue because there's reports that a naked woman has either fallen or been thrown out of the second floor window. The woman was 51-year-old Sean Morris. Again, spoiler alert, lives to tell the tale, so I have the account. Sean had been lured to Tone's house with the promises of drug and companionship. She's 51, kid's grown, she's lonely, you know, some drugs along the way doesn't hurt, in her opinion. Um, she'd been struggling with abuse over the last couple of years of her life, you know, mostly just the alcohol and the crack. Uh, despite having been in and out of rehab, though, her family said that she was really showing signs of, of a good comeback. Um, what really got me about her case is that she tried to, to attend Bible study earlier that day. She tried to go. She's like, man, uh, I, I'm, I'm feeling a strong urge to use. Um, maybe I'm just going to go to church instead. Maybe I can beat this thing. She goes to the church and the Bible study has been canceled. So she's leaving. She's walking down the street. She sees her girlfriends, you know, hey. And everybody decides they want to go out drinking. Sean's like, great idea. Let's go. We're going to go drink. So they go drinking. They go to some local bars. And as the night progresses, they decide they want to party more. So they wind up using some drugs. They want to um, get lit. Yeah, pretty Lily much. Shitty. So Sean loses track of all time. And then she notices it's like 3 a.m. And she's been out all night. Now, Sean's married. 
Ooh. Yeah. So she knew her husband was going to be pissed. Ooh. Completely pissed. Um, so she goes, not walking into that fight. So she decides she's going to hang out at a bus stop with her girlfriends. It's a locally known bus stop. Uh, across the street there uh, is a gas station where you can buy more beer. So they're waiting for 530 to uh, roll around because you can buy beer in Ohio that early. So, oh. Oh, yeah. So they're at the bus stop. You know, all right, come on, station, let's open. We're going we're gonna to keep this party going, right? And then guess who steps off the bus at that stop? Fucker. Yes. Anthony Solo. So he walks up to this group of women, you know, fine-looking young ladies having a good old get-together at the bus stop, and he asks them for a cigarette. Never trust a man walking up to a lady asking for a cigarette. Just fuck you right there. No. No, you, the gas station's right there. Go buy your own fucking cigarettes. What are you doing? I'll give you $5. Go. I won't even give you $5. Get the fuck out of my face. I work downtown. You were up to no good if you came up asking me for a cigarette. There, nothing good came of that. They decide to give Anthony a shot. They start talking to him. And he goes, oh, hold on. I'll get some more beer. So he goes and gets some more cigarettes and beer. And Sean and him really strike up this nice conversation, right? But then 7 a.m. rolls around, and Sean's like, shit, my kids are getting up for school right now. I can't go home now, because if I do, they're going to, not only am I going to disrupt them getting ready to go to school, but then they're going to see me fight with my husband for being out all night, smoking and drinking, right? It's bad, bad news bears. And Anthony's like, well, come back to my place, pass the time. As soon as your kids are off to school, then go home, Okay. So not wanting to damper the mood, they pick up some more crack and beer on the way home. Once they are nestled on the second floor, uh, Tone, at this point, now is lighting incense because, remember, the whole neighborhood smells like ass. It's bad. Because of him. Well, we don't know that for sure yet. No, we know that. We know that. (laughs) We know that. Well, she described the smell as pet feces in in his place. What pet feces is this woman fucking smelling? I don't know, but that's the smell that supposedly permeated the air. I don't want to know what pet she has. Well, <laughs> I'm good, bro. <laughs> Fair enough. So they're hanging out, right? He's got the incense going. In fact, Anthony thinks this is an awesome opportunity to pop a Sweet Temptation CD into the player and hang out. The sweet, dulcet tones of the Temptations. Just incense. Just put that picture in your mind. So, 9 a.m. rolls around, and she's like, okay, I gotta go home. So she leaves. She leaves the house, walks down the street, realizes, fuck, forgot my ID. Need that shit. So she turns around. You can replace that shit. Don't go back. She doesn't know that. She turns around. She thinks that maybe her ID has fallen out of her pocket. So, since he lives on one of the upper floors and she knows there's balcony, she's looking, he's not out there, so crap, she can't, he can't throw down the ID. So, she knocks on the door. Tone kindly answers the door, lets her go to the second floor to retrieve his ID, and then, bam, blood choke. Just out of nowhere, from behind. He holds true to his MO, if we haven't figured it out yet, and starts a violent and prolonged rape, accompanied with these sessions of strangulation. Hours pass, and he thinks, okay, I'm done raping her. I'm going to murder her. As he's moving through the apartment closing windows, Sean goes, shit, what am I going to do? All right, all right, he's trying to murder me. He's closing the windows. What am I going to do? So she quickly locates a window that he forgot to unlock. Now, she is still butt-ass naked for being raped repetitively. I don't blame her. First opportunity to get up out of there, modesty goes up. So she starts 
to head out the window, but it doesn't take Anthony a long time to realize that she's trying to flee, and he attempts to pull her back into the house. So they're struggling while she's hanging out on this roof. Breaks her fingers like it's bad, this, this altercation. So Anthony's struggling with her, and he goes, this is more work than is worth it. So I'm just going to push her. Pushes her out the window. The neighbors see this, call the ambulance, right? Ambulance gets theirs. And he, at this point, had already gone downstairs, also naked, walks outside, and is attempting to drag her naked body back into the house. And and the, uh, and the rescue workers are like, hey, bud, she fell. Don't, don't move the body. He goes, no, 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 this is fine. This is my wife. We were just doing way too many drugs. I'm just going to get her back in the house. She's going to be fine. And they're like, yeah, no. <laughs> no, she needs an ambulance. She suffered a lot of injuries from the fall. So thank God they nabbed her off of Anthony. Um, she had a life-threatening brain aneurysm and needed immediate surgery. Police report to Anthony's residence in the days following to try to catch up and be like, dude, what the fuck happened? You just had a naked woman fall out of your window. Like, people saw that. There's videos of it. People were taking pictures on their phones and shit. I I don't have pictures, but uh, a lot of the news articles I read, too, said that residents were taking pictures of the ambulance and so well being naked and shit outside. They determine that nobody's home, though. Knocks on the door and they go, oh, well, nobody's there. Big whoop and leaves. So he was hiding. I don't know. So they go, okay, well, we're going to go see how Sean is now that she's done with surgery. Sean wakes up. She's in a hospital room. She goes, fuck, I thought I died. And here I'm in a hospital room. And she goes, uh, she's trying to gain her bearings. And the hospital phone rings, and it's Anthony. Um, and he volunteers to finish the murder, to murder her and her children if she tells the police anything. Remember, he has her idea at this point. Remember, she lost the idea yeah. of the apartment. So he knows where she lives. So she thinks this is a credible threat. Oh, my God. Sean asks the hospital staff, like, hey, dude, I got to call my husband. Tell him where I am. And they're like, why? He was here with you in the ambulance. No, he wasn't. Oh, yes, he was. If you say you're somebody's husband and you're found naked together, the ambulance drivers apparently believe you. Uh Sean shook. She realized that Anthony had ridden in the ambulance back with her, probably looking for opportunities to kill her in person. Sean calls her husband, actually, and decides, um, yeah, I was struck by a car. I was trying to cross the street. No big deal. I'll be home soon. Uh, she then explains to the Cleveland PD that Tone was actually her boyfriend. They had been drinking and smoking too much crack, and she actually dropped her keys out the window, went to grab them, and fell. Charges were never filed because so well goes, yeah, yeah, that's what happened. That's what happened. And they go, well, if she's not filing charges, fuck this. I'm not worried about it. Um, oh less paperwork for us to do. Yeah, right? So October 27th rolls around and Latundra Billups finally meets with the sex crime machine. Remember, this just happened a couple of days before this naked woman fell out of the window. Lola, his friend that he raped. Um, she finally meets with him and they get the search warrant. So SWAT team's goal is to enter the residence and secure Sowell on October 29, 2009. They need to get the evidence for LaTundra's case. These items include the sweater that was torn during her assault, the cord used to strangle her, and samples of excrement that she probably secreted by being strangled. Because if you are strangled to the point of unconsciousness, it is not uncommon for your bowels or your bladder to release. It's, it's a self-defense mechanism. It even happened to me when I got strangled, so it's legit. I'm just proud of her for being 
brave enough to admit that so they can go get those samples. Like, yeah, proof. exactly. Because who's willingly shitting on this guy's floor? Nobody. Nobody. Um, I mean, if I was a survivor, I might willingly shit on his floor. <laughs> sure. Put all my DNA there. Going drop juice. So SWAT breaches the resonance with a battering ram. And after no di- initial discoveries, they quickly clear the first floor. No, Anthony. On the second floor, where Latandra Latandra described her assaults, they were able to locate the fecal matter and determine that Sowell was not on that floor either. Hold up. It was still there? Yeah. This fucker didn't clean it? No. <laughs> no. First apartment, immaculate. When he got to this one, he stopped giving a fuck. Okay. Yeah. I Hold on. Cleaned it. Hold on. Okay. In his third floor apartment, where he primarily lived, it was complete disarray. Old food was out, all this other shit. And in Anthony's bedroom, on his nightstand, they take note that there is a Bible next to several pornographic DVDs, a box of condoms, and a bottle for brace. Also not sponsored. Damn. Yeah. Um, so they've cleared this entire third apartment except for the last bedroom of the house in the back hallway. They open it up, and that's where they come across two human corpses wrapped in black bags. They were both insanely decomposed. Their faces were beyond recognition. They couldn't even tell that they were the sex, nothing. The floor was caked with dead maggots and flies, so that indicated that the pair had been there for quite some time. Still no Anthony. You both are chewing your fingernails. Both of you. It's scary. Yeah. The last team of officers went to the basement and ultimately determined that Sowell wasn't even home at all. However, there's an area of concrete where the concrete had been split and there was piles of dirt. And they were curious about that. But they're like, hold the fuck up. We don't have a search warrant for this. Mm, Okay. Attempt to do this right fine. Yeah. We need a new warrant for this freaky ass shit. Good. So everybody suspends their search. Sidebar, weirdly enough, uh, that when this happens, a family friend on the street sees all these SWAT officers and they go, oh, we found bodies, we found bodies. So they go running to Tess's house. Guess who's sitting on the couch playing Call of Duty with his nephew? So well. Damn. Yep. And she goes, oh, hey, 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 there's, you're, you're, dude, there's Tessa. SWAT at your place. Yeah, dude, like Tessa, she sees Tessa first. She's like, Tessa, dude. There's corpses in your brother's place, man. We don't know if he's alive or dead. Is that Anthony? (laughs) (laughs) He's on the couch. She goes, yeah, yeah, he's been there all day. Yeah, been there all day. And she goes, dude, Anthony, there's bodies in your house. Like, dude, you have to come clear this up, like, right now. You got to get in the car with me. And he goes, no, 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 no. Well, okay. So they leave together to go back to the, the, the scene. And then five minutes later, they return. The friend is bawling her fucking eyes out and leaves Tone off. He gets all of his stuff together, packs up his shit, and he goes, I love you guys, bye, and disappears. So she tipped him off on accident. And the police go there the next couple of days after this, and they search Tessa's place and don't find him. Oh, my God. Yep. Um, On October 30th, 2009... Is going to have to wait until the next episode because we are an hour in. So two bodies have been found. And we are waiting for the additional search at Warren to see what else is in Anthony Sowell's house. So much bullshit. <laughs> I did definitely look up images and holy fuck. <laughs> yep. Who doesn't clean shit up? This guy. Listen, that is so gross. It's going to... No, you clean that shit off the floor, man. <laughs> 
No. I mean, it's, it is a lot. It's a lot. I hope you have a good phobia to go with this one, because this is, is it a phobia of shit, because like, <laughs> I'm starting to have that. Um, yeah, we need a good phobia for this. I need, I need, I need, like, a, like, brain flossing right now. Like, my brain. For reals. Yeah, this could be a good one. Okay. All right, go ahead. Phobia. Algophobia. Algophobia? Not agoraphobia. A gal. Not agoraphobia. Algophobia. Okay. Fear of pain. Oh, that, yep. Oh, yeah, I have that problem. That's fair. Yep. Okay. This week's phobia. So let's, that's Anthony so well. Doesn't he look like he just, mm. no, that's not what I was picturing. You wanted him to be more of a monster and less of a weak puppy? This is one of his. He looks like somebody kicked his fucking puppies. Is that his house? That's one of the rooms in his house. Let me see. Is there human shit on the (laughs) floor? So not that I noticed. We need to roll the number for the non-offensive oh dare. Yes. Because I need that's to. That's the basement. That's fucking gross. I need to fill the world with a little silliness and a little kindness after this. Okay, my darling witches, it's time for your weekly non-offensive dare. You must be a Patreon to participate so you can earn points for your house. Each month, the house with the most points gets to vote on weekly non-offensive dares topics of future episodes, and so much more. Each week, once you've gotten your dare, you must safely and creatively complete a post on social media so that we can see that you've done the task. You can tag us at Twitter at Macabre Academy, or you can tag us on Instagram at The Macabre Academy, and you must include a hashtag with your house name to obtain the points. The world is a fucked up place. These dares are designed to bring silliness and random acts of kindness into the world. You must safely complete your dare. If you are unsafe, your points will not be counted. You can also earn additional points for your house by being the first to submit episode corrections to us at themacabacademy at gmail.com. Also, if we use your ideas or stories in a future episode, more points may be awarded. Let's return to the podcast to see what your weekly non-offensive dare will be. So, a quick reminder, (laughs) this week's non-offensive dare is to get points for your house. So, Patronuses, this applies only to you. If not, you need to get over to Patreon and uh, join a house. Give me your money. Yep. Um, it's a it's a small donation. It's just five bucks. It's so bad. That's a copy. It, it only goes to making this podcast better. It does not go to make us rich because we no we're gonna be bitches. poor for life. Listen, I'm a broke ass bitch. <laughs> and I'm okay with that. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So Did our randomly number? generated number is ten. Ten. Oh, this is good. Oh God. Okay, so we. Dare you here at the Macabre Academy to pretend to be a T-Rex with T-Rex problems. I have little arms. (laughs) (laughs) I need a picture of you guys shrinking your arms into your body and just flailing. It's so good. Little arms, I can't reach my cup. (laughs) All right. So again, you can find us online at our website, (laughs) themacabacademy.com. She's still pretending to be a T-Rex. You can find us on 
Twitter at Macabre Academy. You can also find us on Instagram at The Macabre Academy. And we have a Facebook page, The Macabre Academy Podcast. So find us on that. Yeah. All right, witches. Well, that's it for this week. So tune in next week for part two of this nightmare. Unless you're scared. (laughs) It's a little bit same. Who leaves poop on their floor? (laughs) Bye, witches. This podcast was brought to you by Nerdy Witch in partnership with Sound Maiden. We want to thank all of our wonderful Patreons. For updates, please follow the Macabre Academy on Facebook. Remember to like, share, and listen exclusively on Buzzsprout. Soon, we'll be available wherever you listen to podcasts.